The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. It is time to listen to the Biscuit Podcast. It's so delicious. It is full of interviews with Charlotte leaders, makers, and doers. There is so much creative stuff in this town. Hope you're hungry. It's biscuit time. So much more than beaches and mountains so close. Biscuit time. We have banks, but there is a whole lot more here. Please be hungry. It's biscuit time. Pull a seat up beside our fair queen. It is biscuit time. Now, why do I have the urge suddenly to play my old Nintendo? Well, that's neither here nor there. Hey, everybody, this is... Tim Miner, and I want to welcome you to the November 21st batch of the Biscuit Podcast, your weekly audio exploration of Charlotte's creative scene and culture, where we introduce you to the people, places, things, ideas, and initiatives that are really feeding an incredible, vibrant, creative community here. Uh, And normally, we feature a number of uh, interviews with Charlotte creatives, and it's been a particularly busy time, so we really had the pick of what we could do. There's been a, an, an incredible announcement about the expansion of the library. There's the rumor floating around about the 220-acre Central Park-esque park in North Charlotte that could be developed. It's the 50th anniversary of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. But this week, Matt and I are going to dive into one very specific event. We were invited to spend time with... Nikki and Simon Haas, the incredible Haas brothers, they're twins, uh, and they have opened the very first design show ever at SoCo Gallery called I Saw Design, and art opened up my eyes, I Saw Design. So if you've ever been looking for a show that combines Ace of Base and whimsical art, man, you are in luck. Uh, On a serious note, though, it is an incredible show. completely custom made for Soko and uh, the Haas brothers. uh, This is our first time in Charlotte. They had incredible things to say about our community. Um, We're hopeful that they're actually going to move here. Uh, That may be wishful thinking, but you listen to the interview and let us know what you think. Um, We dove in deep with them thinking we might do a 15 minute interview. We talked to them for an hour. Um, Our producer, Andy has condensed that a little bit, but We get into everything from their inspiration to how they moved from various careers. I mean, Nikki was in construction, still is to a certain degree, um, and and really sees art as an expression of excellence in anything that you're creating with your hands. Um, They both have very approachable personalities, wonderful perspectives on how to create. They were very kind, very fun. And, And so if you are somebody that is an art nerd, there's going to be plenty in the conversation for you. If you're somebody that feels a little intimidated by art and gravitates more towards design, again, this is a good conversation for you. Um, I think both Nikki and Simon kind of blow up that notion of the ethereal, hard-to-read, inscrutable artist that can't interact with people. They are so warm and have loved the reception they've gotten in the Queen City Um, And they're making the most of this opportunity for the show that's running through January the 17th. Um, So get to SoCo Gallery, see it for yourselves, but start here. I think actually listening to them talk about how they create, 
how they work together, what inspires them, what they were trying to do with this show is really going to give you a unique perspective before you go to SoCo and see the work for yourself. So it's a bit of a longer interview, but I promise you it's worth it. We had fun. Uh, we laughed. And we also had a few heart-centered moments that were just really delightful, frankly. Um, without further ado, I do want to thank our sponsors that make these weekly explorations and expeditions possible. That's Crescent Communities, Ortho Carolina, and Four Eyes Productions. We are very proud to be a podcast on the Queen City Podcast Network. And we ask that if you love this podcast, please give us five stars because that's going to help expose us to all sorts of other people that might be able to find their way into the creative adventures in Charlotte through listening to these conversations. And last but not least, if you have ideas about topics we should cover, places we should go, people we should talk to, limericks we should tell on this podcast, please share it with us at hello at Charlotte is creative. All right, Andy, seems like it's time to get going. All right, so we are here with the Haas brothers, Simon and Nikki. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. So, uh, and we're sitting in Soko Gallery, which is where y'all just opened. I saw design and art opened my eyes. I saw design. Um, I was at the opening last night. This place was packed to the gills. Um, how was last night for you all? How was, how was the experience of having that, that opening here? It was so fun. I mean, Charlotte really came out in force for, for this. And it was like, I felt really embraced. Everybody was so cool. Uh, we had a lot of good conversations. Yeah. I think it was a success. I could feel the energy in the room. They were excited about you all. They were excited about the work that you've brought here. Um, and we'll get into a little bit about all of that soon. But I want to go back uh, first to kind of uh, a little bit of the beginning. So your creations are described as fantasy-filled. Tell us about some of those early inspirations uh, in the fantasy world, even stuff from childhood that may have stuck with you, or it may be even things from your adult life that are, you know, from the fantasy world that are finding a home in your, in your pieces. Well, Nikki and I are twins, and we grew up with the same childhood inspirations, the same things that we would watch, and the two of us are really different now as adults, but we have that in common, so I think it finds its way into our work a lot because we know that we both love that stuff like we watch jungle book all the time as kids uh i mean a lot of other things terminator 2 that doesn't find its way into our work so much but we have we have all the <laughs> yeah we have all the same references and and like even the way we name things uh is uh, is based on the way that we've been joking around with each other for a long time i was just telling nikki a story uh, I saw design and art open up my eyes. I saw design is based on obviously that song. I saw the sign, and I was telling him I, that that uh, I have a really specific memory of hearing that for the first time in a Pizza Hut when I was on a hockey trip with him, uh, and so it has like a special meaning to me, and uh, it felt really it felt good to pull this name out and have it have it mean something to me like that. I mean, I, I think also, like, if you think about childhood and you think about the point of fantasy and the reason that you're using it with the child, it's to get them excited about life and about the world, and but to also be teaching at the same time. And I'm not saying that we're teaching with our art, but we do have a lot of opinions and things that we want to say to people. And if you wrap it in 
nostalgia and you wrap it in fantasy and you wrap it in common experience, then people are going to be more open to your opinions and message um, th through that through that venue of of like fun and excitement. So I mean, you know. Um, the viewer and us as the artist could potentially have uh, different opinions about something specifically, um, but we create a relationship through common ground, and then we can open the discussion to to our difference of opinion and our discourse, which is ultimately really important just generally in society. And I think that like that, it's kind of like I guess fantasy for us is the first thing we dive into because it's like an open door policy where it's like. Let's start a discussion. Let's get to know each other as the viewer and the maker. And we're not right. You're not right. Or we're both right or we're both wrong. But like, at least we're going to use this as like an open venue, kind of like, you know, hallowed ground is how I think of it. Art's really spiritual for us. And if you think of like, um, like a church or something and what that represents and that it's like safe ground, like that you could literally be in a war and that like two people in a war can enter a church and they're not going to kill each other. That's a much more extreme example. But I think it's like, I think it's like we want to put art out there so that we can, we can like reach out an olive branch, you know, to the world, whether you're our enemy or not or our friends. So that's really what it's about. That's why it starts with fantasy and, and common experience. So I think we're kindred, kindred spirits in that regard. Um, Matt and I uh, pull a lot from, from things we talked about when we were kids, you know, when we were growing up. And we've, we have used um, humor in much the same way that you guys use fantasy, that, that it may look on the outside that we're just being whimsical or, or silly, but we're using that to disarm people so that we can have a larger discussion about things that are important. Because if you just put a sign on it that says, I want to talk about something serious, yeah. people begin to shut down immediately. Yeah. I mean, so. humor is like a, humor is the, is like the ultimate way to make the hardest things you can experience feel better, you know? Like we have really dark humor with this guy, Johnny Smith, that we, that we you know, uh, that, that we work with, and it's like, that's how we heal each other, is, is through laughing about stuff. Yeah, well, and it fills me with hope that Pizza Hut and Ace of Base can come together <laughs> <laughs> to put something beautiful and meaningful into the world, so... That's where it all starts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we do the same thing with uh, Police Squad and... and uh, and other humor like that. Uh, my my father exposed me to an inordinate amount of the Marx Brothers when I was growing up. So that, um, well, so you also come from a you know a, a very creative family. What and and oftentimes that starts with the parents. Did your did your mother and father do they encourage or did your family encourage just kind of wanton creativity out of out of all of you? Yeah, we we talk about how um, you know some kids grow up with pressure to be become a doctor or like a, a lawyer or something, and and for us, if we had done that, we would have been uh, ostracized. You're no son of mine. <laughs> yeah, we were like, they were I don't like have a doctor for a son, a son for a doctor. <laughs> They're like, you will be a concert pianist or a fine art painter. Or I don't <laughs> know you. <laughs> I had the same thing. My father uh, loved the art of cartooning, and yeah. and he wasn't a cartoonist. He had a he had a you know a corporate job, which was 
fulfilling and good. But I grew up with whatever you want to do. But, you know, if I expressed an interest in doing something that was odd or creative, he was pleased as punch. And so was my mom. So that that makes all the difference. It does. I think that's so cool. And I mean, uh, you don't have to grow up in a house that is as eccentric as ours to to support, you know, it just if you support a kid's wish to make stuff, I think that's enough. But man, we were steeped in that. Uh, our mom was an opera singer and our dad carved stone. And so we grew up like carving stone uh, and having music around all the time. And we were putting on plays, like building stuff uh, just between the two of us, pretty much nonstop. Yeah, so y'all were working in, in the construction field for a while. Totally. Too. That's yeah. how we started. And it's funny because people were asking us last night, kind of like, why like why did you get into art? And it's like, I didn't, we didn't choose, like, I didn't choose to get into art. I think Simon had made more of like a decision. And it's like, um, we, I, I like using the analogy of language when it comes to any type of creative field, because it's like, we just know how to communicate to people through physical objects. It's, I feel like I'm better at it than, than speaking to people mm -hmm. because you can get really complicated things across where someone walks in and they look at something and they're just like, that gives me a feeling. And you're like, great, that we communicated something to you. Just like if you're talking to someone and you're trying to explain some deep philosophical concept or a feeling, it's difficult to know for sure if they felt exactly what you meant to get across, but that's the beauty in it. They're, the way they absorb their experience of it. And yeah. so construction for us is our most fluent language. We've been doing it since we were little, little kids, and it went from stone carving to, to woodwork to electrical and plumbing and drywall, like everything. Like, you know, it was always a big part of our life. And, mm -hmm. and funny enough, cartooning became a later passion of mine where I'm like, I'm obsessed with cartoons because I feel like it's a, like, like, like the art of making like a perfect drywall, uh, like like mud and like the nice clean line is like way undervalued. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like the people that can do that well, super undervalued. Cartooning, like another thing, Simon went to RISD and it's like, like if you were an illustrator, it was sort of like, oh, you're an illustrator. You know, like <laughs> if you were if you were a painter, it was like, oh wow, you're painting. That's it. It was like you know, and it's like. Uh, cartoons are having this like beautiful renaissance moment where I think people are giving them the credit they deserve. They're becoming some of the highest grossing shows on TV right now and the most mm -hmm. popular. Um, but which is, you know, beyond that, it's, it's like for us, like if I think of like a, like a moral base and, and where we absorbed like a lot of, of our, you know, our deep moral, uh, uh, settings I would say it was the Simpsons man they taught us a lot and it's like that it's funny I have that conversation with a lot of people and at first I felt like and like kind of weird about telling people that and everybody's like yeah totally the Simpsons that's like that's the family I would look at and you would go wow like it's it's like the family's kind of messed up but they all love each other and it's still beautiful and it's like you know you can relate and understand every character on some level and put a piece of you inside of it and because again it's based in fantasy it's based in nostalgia and it's and it's not a scary thing to dive into you can explore these like really beautiful sad things like homer's a bit of a mess you know fuck up you know but like he's still a dad and he's still there and it's like i mean imagine if you're a kid and you have a, a dad that's like an alcoholic or a really bad drinker and it's like you don't realize it but you're actually like working through those emotions by watching the simpsons when you're 10 or 11 12 years old and you probably don't know how to express or talk to anybody about it but just because it's like like on a cartoon represented by homer simpson it's like 
you have some type of relationship and understand that it's normal. And I think like that's the power that like cartooning or like fantasy has. Um, but it started with construction. That's the language that we understood. We knew how to like, you know, make somebody feel good in a room. And I think then you start to understand how to make somebody like look at something and laugh. And then you understand how to how to like uh, create a, a mass that can make you feel a feeling. And, and, and that came from our construction background, 100%. Like I consider myself a sculptural humorist. If somebody like asked what the like essence of my job is, I would say that's, that's what it is. And it's because I, we were carving since we were kids, so. I think you brought up a good point too about just anything done at a high level where there's a lot of care is worth respect. You know, I think we, we get overly into classifying things like this is high art this is low art this is something that's worthy if you can if you can perfectly craft drywall and do it in a way that it that it interacts with the people that are going to live there that's that's another form of communication through your work i would say too i agree with you i think that illustrators are having an, a renaissance because in the world where and this isn't to take anything away from from digital art or or cgi but you can see you can see the personality of the artist in their pen strokes and in how they ink or how they pencil. It, the remnants of their their genius and their their mistakes or where, you know, their real hand is visible in the work and you can say some human being did this and that communicates. I, I think so. you I think like also that there's like an under like a lot of great work came out of underappreciated art forms because because the people that were investing in it were investing in it because they were they enjoyed the work, mm -hmm. not because they were like, oh, I can get famous doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you were like a cartoonist in the 40s going like, I'm going to be famous. Right. You were doing it because you were like a nerd and loved making cartoons. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's like, like that's, that's I guess we, we are obviously really lucky because we get a lot of credit for what we do. And I think like every day I have to remember to like, like, you know, just be so thankful for that reality. Like, we're so blessed in that way. But um, uh, but there's so many people that are just as talented that don't get any credit for that at all, you know? Which yeah. is, which is um, but, but I mean, you gotta do it for the work. Yeah. That's, the, that's the point of it. You need to do it because you feel like that's your calling or that's your passion or it makes you feel good in a certain way. Yeah. Not, not because you want someone else to look at it and, and and see you and go like you're great. Uh, you got to do it because it it feels it feels good. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna go back to something you said earlier, which is uh, you said that Simon went to RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. Did you enjoy your time in, in Rhode Island? And how did that end up on your uh, you know itinerary, if you will? I loved it there. Uh, I I just wanted to go to a good art school, and I knew that was a good one. But I applied to like 20 schools, and that was the only one I got into. Right, and yeah. so it was the school that I was going to go to. Yes, but yes. I I really really liked it. Yeah. Uh, I um I studied architecture there first, and then I dropped out, and then I came back for painting, and then I dropped out again. Uh, so yeah. I didn't actually finish, but it was one of the most like incredible experiences in my life. It's really stuck with me. And one of the things that Nikki brought up was was these underappreciated art forms. That's one thing that got really pointed out to me there was yeah. the um, they taught it in art history, but I also saw it happening was the hierarchy in art forms uh, rather than I understand that humans need to make distinctions between things and categorize them just to like process it. But um, 
but putting a putting a hierarchy in place about art uh, makes no sense to me. That's a big piece of what we have worked on for a long time. That design is somehow like less than um, has been like a long term societal thing, and I think design is really important um, and maybe more important like to our evolution than art is. But uh, but they're both coming from the same place. So I experienced a lot of that happening there. Well, this show of yours that opened last night is the first design show that SoCo Gallery has ever uh, done, their first design exhibition. I know that they're looking to sort of do more of that moving into the new year and, and beyond. Um, so it's pretty exciting that, that you all are kind of their, their foray into a uh, design exhibition. So tell us a little bit about how this collaboration began. What attracted you to SoCo, vice versa? Yeah. Uh, well, we met Chandra in Miami and immediately got along. And we have, uh, you know, we work with a lot of people, but it, it's really important for us to like them a lot. <clears throat> we don't work with anyone. We don't love being around. And um, we hit it off with her so well from the start that when she suggested it, we were like really gung-ho about it. Um, and then we started to realize, wow, she has a real vision uh, she has incredible style. She knows exactly what she wants to do here. Yeah. And she's kind of on the forefront of, of like creating an art scene here in Charlotte, from what I understand. And she is. It's, it's pretty amazing. And to us, it's exciting to be um, connected to that front wave of, of art happening here. Um, so it, it was really a no-brainer. And, man, we have had fun working with her. I, I think you, you said it well that, you know, Charlotte has had... A, um, you know, clearly there have been galleries in Charlotte before. We've had an art scene. But Charlotte has, over the years, adopted an, an image, um, a self-image of being very buttoned up. You know, that when the banks moved here, it had a real effect on things. And so while there were pockets of kind of avant-garde or, or uh, um, kind of left-of-center art, oftentimes a lot of it kind of fit that very conservative, less playful mode. And I think you're right that, that galleries like SoCo are, are starting to to push in that direction. And it sounds like the reactions that you're already getting to people coming here you are really, re you know, your work is really resonating with them. What, yeah. what are some of the things, some of the reactions you've gotten from people that you've met in addition to Chandra? Uh, people are really positive. And, and I had people saying last night, like, I'm not even an art guy, but this is really cool. Like, I, I'm, I feel, uh, you know, this makes me happy. And to us, I think that we like when somebody who's not like well versed in art responds to our work because uh, it means we're not being so uptight or, or mm -hmm. only speaking to the elite art crowd. That's not really very interesting to us. We want it to affect everybody. And like if a kid likes our work, we get really, really excited. Um, but then you also have legitimate art people getting excited and, and, uh, and that feels good too. I just I think that we we really liked, um, or I loved last night. Just that it was all new people. We've never met any of them, and uh, brand new place. And that we got such a warm reception was like really really exciting. Yeah, and, and, and excitement. That's the main. That's the main term I would use because it's like I, I would much prefer to be around and attached to up and coming than has been or jaded. You know, that's the cool thing is like. Like it's a double-edged sword to have a city that has more experience in something, you know, or to have 
um, you know, like a person that has more experience in something because it leads to, yeah, being jaded and kind of like, okay, what else you got? And it's like, um, we've definitely had shows that, that have, you know, done well, but have that more type of crowd around it. And it's like, they're trying to ask not the difficult questions, but more just like the questions that sort of like bring down the jovial quality of what it is that we're trying to do. Cause we want it to just be like open for everybody. And I think art, uh, has like a, a tinge of exclusivity to it. And, and I'm super aware of it because I never really considered myself an artist until we were doing it professionally. And, and I even like still now have a little bit of discomfort with the term because it feels to me like, like it shouldn't, it shouldn't carry this and it doesn't, but it does carry a bit of this like exclusivity. And it's like, it's a social, I think it's like a social construct around that word. It, it doesn't actually mean that. Um, but, but that's, what's great about the reaction last night is like, like I relate, I relate to the person that likes what they're looking at, but doesn't, you know, isn't, you know, in, in quotations, th you know, think the way about it. They're supposed to think about it or feel the way they're supposed to feel about it. No one's supposed to feel any way about art. That's the point of it. You, you, you again, it's the user's experience and like, uh, like last night, it was it was excitement. That's fun. It's fun that when you talk to someone and they're like, "I'm excited," rather than you talking to someone and they're like, "So, uh, what did you think about? You know, like what was your process?" And you're just like, "Is that actually a question? And is that <laughs> is that is that something that humans talk about? Like, do you ask me like what my process was waking up this morning? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you talk about what was funny about your life, or you talk about like what you felt about something. And it's like I think that. That when you when you throw Simon sometimes explains my expression in art as like a version of naive art, even though I obviously I know what I'm doing now. But it's like he was saying it in the most complimentary way, and that like you can tap into that non-educated version of yourself, and and it's like I call it quaint art, and <laughs> and uh, that has a story to it too. But but um, but but I think like that's that's like that that like attitude of being fresh and green and like wanting to do something because you feel it in your heart and because you want to react to it in the way that you feel it and see it like that's that's what i took from last night is that everybody here wants to feel it and absorb it and like interact with it as a human not as like a critic you know which is great yeah i looking at your work i mean wonder is a word that comes to my mind because it's 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 got that wonderful whimsical quality but i i want to think about it i we use the word we intentionally leaned more on the word creativity and this goes with discussions that we had really going back to college which was that word art you know, it, it, it gets put on a pedestal. I think when you're when you're growing up, anything that's creative, you know, you should dive into. But then we start segmenting. And if you're really good at it, you should keep doing it. If somebody decides, oh, you're not good by whatever scale, you should stop. And then we start putting it in buildings and saying, you've got to pay to it you know, admission to see this and all that. And, and I think people start saying, well, if I can't understand it at that level, or if I'm told I'm not an art historian, I just need to write it off. And, and we've tried to work hard at Charlotte to say, no, there's, there's so much creativity bubbling up that's, it is in the galleries and it is in the museums, but it's in the streets, it's on the walls, it's this, it's this sticker that somebody made and put on a stop sign. They're trying to say something. Yeah to you and that's that's really that's exciting and it's yeah. it's fun to see it in your work too yeah, thank yeah, you it's, important. I mean, like it, it's a it's uh it, if art being so inaccessible 
it stays like that. It's a bummer because uh, I think that the process of making stuff or just being creative is so therapeutic. And I know a lot of people who are like, oh man, I was really creative as a kid and then I just didn't do it anymore. And it is that pressure, either feeling I'm not good enough to do that or I don't want to show people or, or like institutions kind of saying you can't touch this and uh, it's, it's too good for you. I think just do it no matter what because it feels great and uh, uh, that's, it's so important. And when people get old and never allowed themselves to be creative, they feel like a sadness about it. Yeah, it does feel like you lost something because that's a potential that we all have. But yeah. As you guys know, it's a muscle. You have to yeah. work on it. And that means getting the, the, the bad workout, the good workout, the stuff that's in between that might build into something else later. I think what, what excited me about what you guys said too is that Charlotte, as we see it, is a city that's not um, – the rules aren't written yet. Yeah. So, you know, the, the art – the art scene, the creative scene is still forming. And we, and we tell young creatives that talk to us like, well, why shouldn't I move to LA or, <laughs> or, or uh, New York? And we're like, you could go there, but help stay here and help us create the culture, help us write the rules. Oh, for sure. I mean, when we moved to LA, it was still like, it was still the place that New Yorkers were not liking. Uh, like people didn't like LA for a long time and it never was taken seriously as an art place. And, uh, we moved there right before the recession. I think we happened to have like, it was it was like the Wild West. There was no art scene. There weren't really that many galleries. Um, and for us, I feel like there was almost zero competition. And so we wound up like we were we were making all this stuff in a time when it was like a vacuum for that. Mm -hmm. um, and it allowed us to to be on that front edge of of what LA would would start being, which now it's like an art destination. Um, there's a lot of galleries and stuff now. Uh, but also I feel like we got to sort of mold where it was headed in a way. Mm -hmm. And that is such a cooler place to be. I mean, yeah. most of the kids that I went to school with went to New York and they're like spinning their wheels for, for uh, 10 more years because there's every other artist moved to New York. And it's like, th then you're in this crazy rat race that's not, great at all mm -hmm. i say stay here and, and make cool stuff here and and invent it amen to that now would you say that since being on the front edge of, of that sort of nurturing that fledgling culture of, of art and creativity in la has it gestated into a city that is now more critical or a more critique uh, oriented culture i think a so. la a new york or some something else yeah like that? it's getting there a lot of galleries have opened up there now and um I, in in a way, I'm really happy about it, but in another way, it's like uh -oh, the the thing that we're that we were here for is maybe getting saturated. So many people moved to LA, and it's become like the place where artists go now. That I'm starting to feel the way about it that I did about New York. It's it's uh, your it's it's your uh, your Frankenstein monster. Uh, you, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> I know that's just the way it goes, and like right. <laughs> it is now running around the town, uh -huh. you know, uh, scared of fire. But, and, uh, but I don't think it'll ever get to where New York is. Like Paris, Paris is like fashion, right? And then New York is also fashion, and New York is art, and now LA is also art. Uh, but after a while, it there's a cycle, it gets a little old and, and somewhere else will be the next art capital. I think the difference is like we, when we, when we moved there, we got to sort of choose, build and like help shape 
our community. That's where it started was community. You go somewhere and you're like, where is the scene? And if there's not the scene you're looking for, you just create it with the people around you. And the thing is, even though we are experiencing sort of those like critique oriented, jaded sort of mentalities in our city, we still were a part of the creation of the community and we still have the excitement between the people that we always had in that place. So it's like, that's the thing about, it's funny, like in, in the car, uh, from the airport just just going to to chandra's we were talking about like like where would we move because we're obviously feeling this where we're going like i mean you know la is just it's too big for its britches in a lot of ways it's also like such an exciting place but like where else would we be and and i think it's like if you're here in charlotte and you're making work like you have this massive opportunity in front of you, a blank slate. You can go, oh, I, well, I know this person that, you know, blows glass, and I know this person that's a welder, and I know that person that makes jewelry. Like, like find each other, create events, and pull people in that can, I mean, banking, man, that makes me go ka -ching. you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm joking, but it means that there's money, right, that can help. Yeah, and you, right. yeah, and you need, and you need a practical aspect to, to like, fund your, your thing. I remember Simon and I, when we were, like, 17 there was this guy that owned a coffee shop or 18 maybe i can't totally remember and it was like we wanted to put on a show that we called the gold show and there was no point to it whatsoever and this guy kind of like owned a bunch of stuff and he had money to do it and we're just like we want to make a show called the gold show and he's like what is it and we're like i don't know everything's gold but it'll be cool it's gonna be like weird <laughs> and i and he's like he's like okay how much do you need and to us it sounded like so much money i think it was like 1500 dollars or something and we we're like 1500 bucks and he's like yeah sure here you can use my space go for it and we ended up throwing a show that like 800 people showed up to you know what i'm saying like it was a huge success and it was nothing it was just like literally it was nothing but then all of a sudden like because you're doing something weird everyone creeps out of the woodwork like every freak in austin was like oh what's the gold show and like shows up and you're like oh the community exists. This is real. You know right. what I'm saying? And like, you know, last night, same thing. There were so many people here. And it's like Charlotte obviously has a want and a need for that. And maybe the scene already exists and I don't know. But like it's like if, if it does, it's new. And if it's like you can, you know, grab on early on, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like you know, getting offered to invest in Google in like 1998 or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's like your investment in something is worth so much more when you're on the front end of it. And that's, I'm not just talking financially, like from a social and like sort of psychic ability, like that's where, that's where you want to be. Charlotte's in the like pocket moment of being able to like be a part of something and catch fire. And it's like, like, you know, what if, you know, Charlotte could be the next cool art town? It's just, it's kind of up to the people that live there to, to decide that or not, you know? We So we need you to go to, like, every meeting we take during the week and give that exact speech because we're saying that all the time. We're saying that, you know, there are, there are communities that have um, tremendous creativity in art scenes, and there's communities that have tremendous amounts of, of capital and, and financial ability to make things happen. We have this burgeoning art scene with so many people that have a culture of collaboration and we have the financial means to power that, we just need to bring them together and say, look, the, everybody has got incredible value at this table to make this a, a great place to live. So Industry too. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to bring this in, but NASCAR and all that stuff, like the, one of the reasons LA is such a great art city is because of the movie industry. And mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the creative aspect of it. I'm mm -hmm. saying like we have excellent wood supply. 
we have a mate. You guys, North Carolina has a huge history of furniture making mm -hmm. too, right? So it's like you have all the materials and the skills right in front of you. It's like in LA, if we need a CNC router or a 3D printer or a welder or a carpenter, we can find it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of places where you don't quite have that privilege. Austin, where we grew up, it's like not nearly as it doesn't have a wealth of like ability in that same way. Just like the supply, like the fact that you probably have an excellent steel supply here. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Didn't mm -hmm. exist in Austin. You mm -hmm. couldn't find a great steel supply there. And it's like, like, you know, art is making things. It's construction. And it's like, obviously this place has that in spades, you know, which is a big, 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 big key to that. You know? I know deep down on some level, they are both thinking of moving to Charlotte. I know it. I, I, I sense it. I've, I mean, I've already said that to him like five times. I'm like, maybe we should move to Charlotte. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. It, would it help to say that we have also have access to incredible stone? So that helps. Yeah. And, and biscuits. We're, we also have delicious biscuits okay, here. Okay, right. then, then I'm sold because I love biscuits. <laughs> got, do I get, That's right. Do you have biscuits and gravy? Yeah. Okay. Then do I'm we here. have biscuits yeah. and gravy? Uh, perfect. Sa <laughs> sausage gravy. Uh, that so. is like, truly my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> All right, so back to the real point of this podcast, which is to find as many things we have in common as possible. Um, so you, you are twins. Yeah. Identical or fraternal? We're okay. fraternal. Fraternal twins. Okay, so I'm, I'm also a twin. I'm an identical twin. Um, so I feel like I'm allowed to ask the questions that annoy me all these years okay. because I'm on the receiving end of this, but now I get, I've earned the right to ask these questions yeah. for those of our listeners who are not twins. So tell us a little bit about what it's like working together. Um, is it a collaboration that's full of agreement and mind reading, or is it more about challenging and, and pushing and, and questioning each other? So I think, I think it's both. Um, you know, if we build something together, if we're going to make like a simple table out of wood, uh, one of us will hold a, a plank of wood while the other one's um, drilling it in or something like that. And that's that's the mind reading aspect of it. Then I think that we we're very different people and we both approach life in a different way. We approach what we want to make in a different way. But because we care about each other and know each other so well, um, we are able to find a common ground that we want to do. And when we, um, you know, when we have any kind of creative dispute, it's always fruitful. Like we were interested in uh, making something good come out of it and we will work to find what we, what we're both into. And I think that it, it is that collaboration that makes our work what it is. Neither one of us would be making stuff like that if we did our own stuff and we do our own stuff on the side, but like it's very different. And I wouldn't have been able to dream up any of this without without Nikki, uh, and I think vice versa. Um, just, just an important point to make too is that the discourse is actually the meat of our work. Like like the 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 places where we don't, and I'm using the word discourse, not fight, because it's not a fight. It's just like we know we have different opinions about something, and finding the middle ground helps us practice that muscle of making something that is more ubiquitous and that feels more like like um, palatable for a larger audience and it makes it more relatable to more people. And that's really, really, really important. And you know, like, like if you talk about the things where we're like mind reading, if it's like technical um, apl application or construction, right? A and you don't need to, sometimes it's good to disagree about the way something is constructed, but once you've agreed on a plan and you're moving through it, you don't need to disagree about like, now you put in a screw here, you need to just roll through it. 
when it comes to conceptual value and expression, you need to have a conversation about that. And if we're just like, yeah, rad, let's do it. Let's yeah. like, let's go for it. Right. And we agree all the time. We haven't forced ourselves to think about it. So it's like, I think in the disagreement, we, you know, being twins, like we've disagreed 5 million times, you know, like we're used to it and it's good to like go, okay, cool. We disagree. What do we do to fix it? You know, like that's, I think you guys hit on such an important, it goes beyond being twins. It gets into, into just where we are as a society is disagreement. I think gets written down as opposition. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't mean opposition. It means you're coming at things from, from different vantage points. And we're trained now, I think to run from people that don't, that aren't in lockstep with us. And in that, in that, um, struggles, even too strong a word, but just that if you have the desire to create together, you'll find ways that disagreement is like tempering steel, right? It, yeah. it makes it a stronger, better idea. And that's really why we do things, right? Yeah. To see the world through other people's eyes. That's beautiful to hear you say that. I love just the term discourse. That nails it for me because discourse, I think like in its usage, you could, you could mean literally like a vehement, complete disagreement, or you could mean literally just an amicable conversation. It could mean everything in between. And I think America's not great at discourse at the moment. It's, it's, there is no conversation. There's not a lot of back and forth. It's, it's like, it's more like, like if in, in any relationship and America has a relationship with itself, right? Like if you know everything about the person you love and you're with them, right? Let's just take a romantic relationship. If you're having a fight, you're just going to say all the shittiest things you can think of. And that doesn't help anything at all. But like, if you're actually having a discourse, then you're gonna end up loving each other so much more. Like, you know, our hardest moments that we've had as twin brothers have become the biggest lessons in our life. Mm. If I think about my wife, who I've been with for 16 years now, like, like our hardest moments are the reasons I love her more than than ever. You know, mm. um, I have a two-year-old child. Like, having a two-year-old is a tremendous learning curve. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. The first six months are like mind-bendingly disorienting. Mm -hmm. But I believe that like the difficulty is part of what makes me love him so much now, right? Like now he's a lot easier, but like that first six months, it's like my, you know, your life gets flipped upside down. The difficulty is what makes you invest in something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's sad to see America in a place that's like so hateful and on mm -hmm. both sides and so unwilling to like understand. Um, but I believe that on the other side of it, we'll get in a better spot, you know? So that's the beauty of it. If you can lean into like um, disagreement and you can lean into a bad moment and go, it's gonna be so much better after it's done, then, you know, I just try to keep a level head and like yeah. be good with it, you know? Well, so. that is certainly the power of that discourse that you're referring to. I mean, for, for me, in, in my experience with collaborating with Tim, it is about, I will hold on to an idea so tightly because I think it's right, yeah. or maybe I'm scared that I don't have any other ideas. So it's, there's some fear-based stuff there too, and Tim will come in and and we'll do this for each other. We'll 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 you know we'll kill our darlings. I mean that's the thing. Like I can't let go of stuff sometimes, and he'll say, you know what, that's actually not that good or that funny. So then we build on each other's good ideas, and and so um, yeah, it's all of it is fear-based. Right. Fear ego, and ego. Like mo my my biggest my biggest issues in my life were always connected to ego, and I think if yep. I'm just like if you try to be like once you let go of trying to control your reality and just like open yourself to learning from it. That's, that was a big moment in my life where I was like, I need to learn from my experience instead of try to like curate it for myself because yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know better than 
everything, you know? So, <laughs> like. so <clears throat> we have a couple more final questions uh, before we wrap up here. And one is we have to talk about the Haas sisters. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, from Monkey Biz. Uh, Monkey Biz, South African women's collective known for their beadwork. What attracted you to them? What was it like co collaborating with creatives who are, you know, masters in their own right? Tell us about that project. Um, we were in Cape Town for to give a talk at a fair. Uh, and we just wound up walking around a design or a craft fair and, and met this group of women out of nowhere. It was really out of the blue. Um, but we were looking at their work and thinking, um, wow, the, you know, putting beads together takes a long, long time and it's not easy. And the stuff was beautiful. And we were just, uh, we were like buying all these pieces and they were like 40 bucks or, you know, $20. And we were thinking, Man, if I spent that much time on something like that and I got 40 bucks, I wouldn't be able to survive. And um, uh, so we started like digging into that and we were thinking they're artists in their own right. They should, you know, how come how come we get to sell our stuff for what we sell it for and they don't get to do that? So we just we we saw an opportunity for um, for a conversation, basically, and to to make work with people that were in a, in a completely like at the opposite end of the earth and with a completely different circumstance. And uh, we asked if they would work with us and, and it turned into a really amazing long-term project. And, you know, they taught us a lot about our own work. It's really changed what we do. Uh, and I think that we've helped them like get a platform and they've met a lot of people now. Their own work is selling for more money. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool for us. It was, a the artwork, the artworks are great, but there's also a, a social component to it where the makers that help us, um, uh, they get a, a big profit share. Um, you know, a lot of artists will have somebody make something and they just buy it at, at a price and then they'll sell whatever they want. Um, uh, we give a portion of our sale price directly back to the people who are making it. Mm. And I think that's really cool too. Um, yeah. So that, that was our first step into doing that. And we, we've just created a similar project in uh, Central California with our friend Linda Resnick. And it is, uh, it's really like one of my proudest achievements is that, that we've set up these kind of little communities of, of craft. Well, it's just it's so powerful that you were able to see that issue and then work with them to sort of hack it yeah. um, and figure a way around to sort of reverse engineer the way it normally goes mm -hmm. and to do it in a way that really supports them and gets their work out there. Mm -hmm. And even before we started recording the podcast, you know, Nikki, we were talking about that you all look for opportunities to meet with kids, sit down with kids. You know, you're. I just love the fact that you bring that social and community connection element to the work yeah. you're doing. It's almost like the exhibitions and the work are just a springboard into doing that, that, that deeper work with communities. They are because like, what, what are we actually doing if we're not, if we're not doing that? I, I mean, connections with people are, are really like what I'm going to remember at the end of my life and, and what I'll be proud of. And, um, it's definitely harder, but I think we know, uh, like Nikki was saying about, having disputes and growing from them, we know that you'll grow more and have more ideas uh, if you put yourself in a situation that's not in your comfort zone. And that is, that's really like, we try to do that all the time. Um, and the people that we work with, if you're working with a, a group of 25 women from a 
completely different reality, they are going to have a lot of opinions and a lot of viewpoints and, and creative ideas that you have no context for. You've never seen before. That's exciting. That's like major fodder for creativity. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm super excited, uh, to, to sit down with you all. Um, how much longer are you in Charlotte? Oh, we're till Saturday morning. I heard rumor that you might be doing some go-karts with Jimmy Johnson. We're doing that right after, right after this interview. We're pretty Warm excited. Warm those tires up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no yeah, kidding. That's, that's what we definitely heard. Definitely get the blood flowing on, yeah, on that yeah, one. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and we, we were happy to point you in the direction of Great Biscuits. Uh, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, right on. Yeah. <laughs> it comes back to like, you don't get that unless you're invested in the work, right? right. You have to want to do the work. That's the thing. And it's like, it's less about art. It's less about creative. You're going to be creative doing anything you do if you enjoy it because you're going to find yourself in it that's the whole point of it you know i think well last question i mean we could we could sit here for a long time because i do feel like we've we've met brothers from another mother uh, <laughs> but uh if if you had a word of advice for the charlotte creative community given where we talked about what what would you say to to creatives that are trying to make it here in charlotte right now do it because you like doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, find yourself yeah. in the work. I, I mean, I think that's the millionth time I've said it during this interview, but it's like, I need to practice that myself all the time. Like, I need to go, like, what am I actually doing this mm. for? And it's like, like, if I go into my heart of hearts, it's actually never, it's never money. It's never, it's usually about relationships with my brother or relationships with the people that we work with. It's about family. It's about community invest in the cliche things that everyone tells you are important because it's just true mm -hmm. now that we're in our mid-30s it's like and you have to find yourself in the work and you have to find you know your purpose in it you know and if it's you know i don't know i invested a lot of time in what i thought was romantic and what i thought what i what i saw myself as because i was attached to my ego and uh and and then when i was like you know what I'm just a construction worker and I'm better at that than anything else. And I'm still doing that same job, but it's become this because I found myself, you know, I'm a construction worker. I still am. And again, it's about framing it. So find yourself in the work. That's what I always say. And don't be, don't like, there's no reason to be ashamed. I was, I was like ashamed that I was a construction worker. Mm. Like I was embarrassed to tell my wife when I first met her and like, you know, like that's just who I am. And, and I'm proud of it now. Just be yourself, you know? Yeah. I would say don't let critics, including yourself, prevent you from doing something that you feel like doing. Uh, like I know so many people who are who beat themselves up all the time, like I'm not good enough. And that is literally like the biggest career <clears throat> career killer, creativity killer. It stops everything. So that that's like a uh, that's a battle to win right away and then just keep moving forward. Well, I, I, for one, I'm glad that you, you all have found uh, a, a city of joy and enthusiasm and excitement and discovery with your work here. Yeah. That makes us really proud and, and happy that, that that's the experience you're having here. Um, and for those of you who have not been to Soko Gallery, I saw a design and art opened up my eyes. I saw a design. I saw a design. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. Uh, it's the only way. Uh, it runs through January 17th, 2020. Um, have a great conversation. I think Jen Edwards is moderating a conversation with you all at the Mint Museum Friday night, uh, this Friday night. But um, have a just en enjoy the rest of your time in Charlotte. Thank you for bringing everything that you are, your work, your sort of lens on life and the world and, and community and connection. Um, it's really awesome to sit down with you, with you both. Oh, likewise, thank you. 
Thanks again to Simon and Nikki Haas for speaking with us. And of course, thank you, the listener, for tuning into the Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, please tell them yourself. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to The Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings.